0: Episode of the Piping People podcast uh, with me, Guy Bevington, uh, MD of True North Recruitment Group. And uh, this is the first episode of 2021. And uh, I'm honoured to be joined by Mr. Rav Roberts. Rav, welcome. Thank it's... you very much, Guy. Yeah. No, what a week good.
1: it's been already. I know. We're,
0: one, we're not even one week in. So <laughs> <Make it>. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> an interesting start to 2021. Yeah, who would have predicted a eh? lockdown 3.0? Is, is upon us. Yeah. Um and, but, and all the events uh, in the States. And hey, oh god, yeah. That's that's a that's a whole other episode, I think, isn't it? <laughs> um but um but no Rav we um by rare introduction uh, I guess so you are the uh the CEO and co-founder of a uh a health tech um uh, business called Pharma Sentinel and um we connected uh I guess had a good chat just before the Christmas break and uh yeah I think it's fair to say you've, you know, very impressive uh, career to date and you're someone who has had a lot of experience in and around the de- uh, digital and sort of technology um, world, uh, in particular within kind of startups and on both sides of the of the pond, you know, here in the UK and in Europe and also over in the, in the States. And in our last chat, um, you know, I think we touched on some really interesting comparisons and, and sort of differences between the two approaches, between, you know, starting and scaling a tech business and, and a startup in, in uh, the States versus you know, maybe the rest of Europe, which I found really fascinating to kind of hear from your experiences. Yeah. So we thought, let's do a podcast on it. And that's uh, kind of what we're, yeah. what we're here for, I guess. So, um, yeah. Um, But yeah, before we get into all of that, I mean, do you maybe want to tell us a bit about yourself and um, your kind of career to date? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And to
1: be honest, I don't really feel that I've got so much experience. Um, I feel I'm learning all the time and there's actually never been a better time to learn. Things are happening everywhere with technology and there's more information from quality people available. Uh, Mm. You just look at Twitter and LinkedIn. So yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty humble about what I know and I know what I don't know and that's a lot of stuff as as well. So um, yeah, getting into when I'm where I started I I started on the graduate recruitment program at a company called Fidelity Investments in the UK, uh, down in Tunbridge, near Tunbridge Twelve in Kent. Uh, Kent's already has been in the news quite a bit with, with Brexit in the last few weeks of 2020, right? And uh, so a lot of my friends uh still still work in, in that area and, and for Fidelity. But I was there for three years. I I started off working as a database and systems analyst and a programmer um, for three years and then the opportunity came to go to, to the US to San Francisco uh, initially on holiday to meet my cousin who was over there and while I was over there my cousin said have you thought about moving to the US and I said no not really <laughs> and so he said would you like to interview for my company and his company was a, a technology consulting company. Really well renowned in the U.S., they pioneered rapid rapid application development, known as Agile, and they were called Cambridge Technology Partners, Cambridge MIT uh, on on the East Coast. So I interviewed with them, and interestingly, the first thing he asked me was, uh, "Do I know what a software development life cycle is?" And I'd never heard of it, even though I was a programmer, right? (laughs) So, so he prepped me, uh, my cousin prepped me for the interview. Uh, and sure enough, the first question they asked was, where do you work? And Fidelity was the answer. And Fidelity, I didn't really, understand, didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it's massive in the U.S. Like quite a small, yeah. fledged back in the mid-90s, kind of a small company in the U.K., but huge in the U.S. So that was a tick in the box. Um, and then the second question is, what's uh, software development lifecycle? Of course, I aced that question. And basically, they um, sponsored my me to move to the US, uh, sponsored my uh, visa, doubled my salary. And in a couple of months, I'd sold everything in the UK and moved over to the US. So there, there I was uh, living in San Jose to start with. And my first uh, assignment uh, was actually I went to Boston to, for, for training for a week, which was brilliant then straight away went to just outside seattle um to, to a financial services company who were getting ready for Pay and wanted to digitize for all, all their you know excel spreadsheets and this and that um, and i'd never done consulting before so i remember going into a lot of pretty high-powered meetings with other consultants and, and client representatives and i just sat there in silence because i didn't really understand the business or what they did uh, I didn't want to make a fool of myself. You know, yeah, the, the UK people are quite reserved, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so so, eventually I, I piped up, uh, you know, uh, over dinner to, to one of my colleagues and I said, what exactly is this, does this company do? Um, and they explained it to me. So then I kind of understood. I think the fallacy was that when, when they recruited me from Fidelity, they assumed that I knew everything about financial services. They were recruiting financial services. Uh, sort of experts for the, for the West Coast in the U.S. And I didn't know anything except what I did at Fidelity <laughs> at that time. I'd never traded shares. Of course, the, the the stock market was booming then with the dot-com boom, right? I'd never traded shares. I didn't know anything about the stock market, um, nothing like that. So it was all a huge eye-opener, um, really in at the deep end. and. I learned a lot during that time, came back, I came, I was there for a few months, came back to the Bay Area, and then worked for companies like Charles Schwab, E-Trade, Network Associates, and I've, eventually I stopped programming, and I was leading these projects, despite never having any project management training. Of course, I got that, right? Um, but again, in at the deep end. And then, sort of in the late 90s, after a couple of years of that, everyone was starting their own companies in silicon valley and um, that basically that's where i was so we had people in our company leaving to start new companies every week which is kind of disruptive when you're leading a project right mm. but eventually i did exactly the same thing i i started with my own dot com company in san francisco with a few other cambridge people and we had uh, grads from uh, berkeley and stanford working for us that developing java games so so our idea was games that were advertisements and the big problem for the first time in history you could actually tell are people looking at your ads um on the well on the internet banner ads and things like that and they weren't looking at them they were actually avoiding looking at them avoiding clicking them because back then you didn't really have contextual ads you didn't have ads that followed for you around the internet mm. um, perhaps that's a good thing but you you didn't have them so that you just had all sorts of um, ads that were not relevant to what you were looking at and people just avoided them but our ads were relevant so we had clients like the bbc philips samsung sony uh, bmg and we were cash flow positive we were doing really well hiring new people everything going really great and then of course uh, the dot com crash happened september the 11th happened and everything basically fell apart um, i came back to the uk in late 2002 early 2003 um, with less than i'd gone over there with because i'd invested in the business so it was you know it was a harsh lesson and i think unlike americans and i think we're going into this a bit later but when brits fail and I, i'm born in scotland obviously my my family are indian by heritage but i was born in scotland uh, moved to London uh, relatively young, and uh, Brits they don't take to failure quite as well as the Americans do. So they kind they're scared. You know, it was it it was a harsh lesson. I came back. I was sleeping on my friend's sofa. I didn't have anywhere to live um, apart from at my friend's house, and I had to pick myself up and start all over again. This was back in 2003. Um, so I managed to get a, a role in in government leading an e-government program. this is digitizing all government services um, which was great but I wanted more than that right So I decided to do an executive MBA at CAS business School in London um, and it was there that the first thing I did when I, when I did when I when I enrolled was look up entrepreneurship in the search bar. Uh, And I contacted the Entrepreneur Society and the guy that was running it said, well, we're not really doing anything at the moment because there aren't any events and I'm too busy. So you can take over if you like, so I did. And um, I got some money from the school, from the university, recruited a new steering committee, got some uh, professors involved, and we started some really, really good events um, with, for example, the Institute of Directors, uh, the London Stock Exchange and we actually had a China interest group uh, uh, back then so this is 2004 um, when China was really taking off and so that really enhanced my profile within the school and so I, I was a, a mentor to other Executive MBA students starting in 2005 um, and it was during my time as a mentor I really got to know some some great people and also in in my in my cohort, there are a couple of people that, uh, NASA and uh, Paolo, that, that I was sitting next to back in 2005, and we got to know each other well. In fact, with Paolo, I started an Internet of Things company in 2016 that we sold um, to, to another company. Um, so, but, but, but going back to CAS to after CAS, I decided I needed to basically secure my future, right? So I didn't go back to being an entrepreneur working at a startup, it was too much risk. I actually went to Accenture Management Consulting, then Capgemini Consulting, always in digital, that's all all I did. Digital strategy, digital deliveries are end to end. I got to know that really well, technology strategy. And then Diageo, a couple of other things in between. And then last year uh, I met Paolo and NASA at an alumni event in the city. And NASA, who's uh, a pharmacist by, by training, he'd worked for the medicine regulator in the UK, the MHRA He'd worked for Eli Lilly, and other big pharma companies, um, he said, well, I've got this idea. So uh, Paolo was there, we listened to him uh, because I'd had this tech company with Paolo previously. And we decided to start the company and we actually launched it um, in October last year. On the App Store and Play Store, uh, it's called Medsi, M-E-D-S-I-I, and it's had over fifteen thousand downloads already from about one hundred well over one hundred and fifty com- uh, countries. And we've raised in four months um, over two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. So it's going really well, you know, in a pretty tough pl- climate. Uh, much better than we expected. So we, we've got big plans now to launch in the U.S um that's our you know number one target market to launch a b2b uh, cloud software as a service offering as well um that we we hope to scale globally so um and i know we're going to be talking about scaling cloud uh, and what's happening in in tech uh, later in this interview so uh, a lot happening and in between all that i've got married i had twins last year as well so it's been pretty hectic with <laughs> the pandemic
0: as well right yeah, nice <laughs> all, all going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I find that that's that's awesome. I really love your story. I think it's uh, it's such a great story because you kind of your point, which I think we will come on to earlier on about this whole um, yeah fear of failure thing. I think it's such an important point, Um yeah, and it probably will be one of the underlying differences probably between maybe the, the British mentality and yeah what's sort of going on, on the other side of the pond in terms of how they how they approach business, but. Yeah, and know what I really like about your uh, your story so far is it just seems like you you kind of throw yourself in at the deep end and just get on with it, and uh, you know you've kind of really not necessarily managed to mitigate that level of fear, but you've managed to deal with it and just just go ahead anyway. You know, from your first gig at uh, you know Cambridge to going on to starting your own business to coming back regrouping, getting on with it, and then going out again. And I think you know it's fantastic to hear that Pharma Sentinel are doing so well and you've got such great traction in there. The you know the few months that you've been operational, but I think you know you fully deserve it because obviously a lot of people will see oh hold on a minute oh, Rav's come has gone and started this this business and in four months you know he's he's done really well he's got you know, x number of downloads and yeah they won't necessarily know about all of the stuff you've been through to get to this point and I think that's uh, that's the real mark of a successful entrepreneur, isn't it? I think it's it's Winston Churchill who says that um, or said that uh, you know success is is moving on from one failure to the next without a loss of enthusiasm and uh exactly. I totally agree with that you know and um, so so that's cool that's really really great intro thanks and some really interesting stuff to to drill down into there but um but i guess yeah going on to kind of the the, the, the sort of topic or the theme i suppose that we, we thought would be an interesting thing to discuss i mean having um helped grow businesses in both the uk and and the usa i mean what what have you identified? Do you think as some of the fundamental differences you know that you've kind of observed in your experience of of how you know these two kind of different um, societies approach business and, and and tech businesses in particular?
1: Yeah, well the first thing I would say is I was there some time ago, right in the late '90s, early 2000s. Of course, I've gone back quite quite a lot, and I've got family over there. Um, and uh, my big plan, or our big plan, is to to launch in the U.S., so yes, back then in the late '90s, early 2000s, the Silicon Valley was already way ahead, right? Um, you had the, the big successful companies already established, like Microsoft, Oracle, um, and and a few others, but you also had some some new ones back then: eBay, Amazon, Google, right? They were just springing up in the late '90s. I think Amazon started it in the mid '90s, and um, then, of course, in, in the early 2000s, you had uh, Facebook and the other social media companies coming on board. Um, and then now you've just got so much going on over there. And my, bit, my big worry or concern is the U.S. is already so far ahead in terms of startups, technology, cloud, um, how, how they structure a startup to dominate, which, which we don't do. Over here, very well. Although we're probably the second or third best country in the world for tech startups, right? Maybe the second is Israel. This is my opinion. Mm. Um, and us number three. We're just so far behind the US, but that means the rest of the world is even further behind. You look at the you look at the new companies now, companies that most people on the street would never have heard of. Of course, you've heard of Microsoft and Facebook. But have you, not you, but the the average person on the street? Have they heard of Twilio, MongoDB? Um, Of course, they've heard of Zoom, but Cloudflare, um, Snowflake, other uh, software as a service cloud businesses that are worth billions. And and these companies started, um, some of them as Y Combinator, which is a a startup accelerator in San uh, Francisco-based company. They started with nothing. But what they do differently over there is they... They take an idea and they think global almost from day one, Mm. right? And they assemble a team and VCs, venture capitalists to back that um, and people to grow the business. So when you scale, of course, you have to have the right people on board. They know how to go to market. They know their sale, how to sell. So they take that extremely seriously. Um, I first got a, a taste of how to sell um uh, stuck, right when i was in accenture a, a, in the uk and I, I remember this was back in the, the late 2000s 2000, so 2007 eight, 9, and i remember we used to go to clients and all all, all consulting companies leaders they they want to know how much is the budget that the client has got and then they want to know how can they get even more budget so we don't just want to do a tech project in 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 Accenture for the for the client, we want to then run run the, uh, the the technology for them in a contract that spans five years. So from the beginning, you're already thinking, how far along in the next ten years can I can I get into this client and start um, monetizing that that opportunity? And exactly the same with software uh, and tech t- tech startups. In, in the US, that's how they're thinking. And they're not just thinking that, they're doing it. They've got all the people in place that have done it before and that are advising new people. And another big difference, I don't know if you want me to go into this now, but another big difference is um, a lot of this brilliant information, They the key people, these are millionaires, give away for free on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. I'm talking about people like Brad Feld, who started Techstars. Uh, Jason Caller- Canis, I hope I pronounced that well. He's a VC, one of the, uh, I think he he, he says he's, he was either the second or third investor in Uber. Um, I attended two of their trainings this year. Um, the first one was uh, uh, Brad Feld, was about uh, venture capital. How, as a as a as a founder, you approach venture capitalists, you structure the deal, things to look out for, and it, this course lasted eight weeks, right? And, and there are you know hundreds of people globally attending, completely free, right? No, didn't ask for any money, and I learned more in that course about venture capital than I've ever learnt about it before. Um, I, uh, Jason's course as well. And that was all about how to pitch your company, um, how to attract angel investors and VCs, um, all, all the legal things you need to look out for. So he had one of the top law firms in Silicon Valley, Wilson Sancini, uh, talking about um, what what you should look out for as, as, a, as a founder when you approach VCs, when you do partnerships with other companies, all the legal agreements. So, and again, completely free. Right, and there are a number of other um, VCs and uh, you know, tech tech um, geniuses on on Twitter and LinkedIn that give away all this information all day long um, for free. Right, we don't have that sort of attitude over here. Now, I don't want this to become a, a UK bashing bashing exercise because I I love living here. But if you are, if you're asking me, what's the difference? And we all know that. The US isn't a perfect place. You just see what's happened in the last um, week or yesterday, uh, in fact, uh, in Washington, D.C. It isn't perfect, but the things it does well, such as technology, um, and it's dominating that. And it's going to carry on dominating. And I can't see anyone else even getting close in the next at least 10, 20 years.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. it's. It i am absolutely you know whenever i think about america and what it has achieved in in really what is a relatively short space of time in comparison to the you know the, the rest of the world certainly the eastern eastern world it's uh it's phenomenal isn't it and in there's got to be something going on there you know that's, yeah. that's beyond luck it's uh and I, I do agree with you i think fundamentally it does boil down to just a, a total uh difference in attitude and, and i also agree with you, you know, i think i don't want this to be a a UK bashing exercise because like say if anything uh, UK it is right up there in terms of you know some of the leading companies uh, or the lead, uh, countries in the world from a tech startup perspective but like you said just in terms of that that divide between the US and the rest of the world in terms of you know the approach to, to scaling tech businesses they are in their own league aren't they and uh, you yeah know, anything and you know, and learn from that yeah.
1: exactly and the thing I, I'd add is it's not just tech businesses so here's a great example of actually one of my best friends in the US Scott Walker and uh, I met him in 2001 with you know we've got to know each other over the years even after I left and when I met him um, it was in a bar in San Francisco and so we, we were just ordering some drinks at the bar and he said Rav what do you do and I said well I've, I've got my own tech startup in, in San Francisco online gaming and I said, Scott, what do you do? And he pulled out a pen, and he showed me his pen, and he s- he pointed at it, and he says, "You see that logo on the pen?" So I put logos on pens, on you know, different you know, notepads, whatever. So it's branding really for companies. And this didn't sound interesting at all to me, right? <laughs> so anyway, you know, I was talking to him, and um, next the the next week, he invited me to a party at his house in Silicon Valley and it was a big mansion. And I just couldn't understand how um, he could have this this big mansion. Silicon Valley isn't cheap, even back then. Um, And he he said, Rav, one of my clients, I think it was Yahoo or Excite, last year I got a quarter of a million dollars in revenue from, just one client, just selling these pens and napkins and notepads and things like that. And it really got me thinking, when they want to do something, They have the infrastructure and strategy in place to execute flawlessly and Mm. and dominate that. Right, that that's what they're thinking about from day one. Mm. And it's not just trying to dominate London, right? That they're not even interested in that. They want to know: Can you take this global? And you better be able to take it global. And we'll put the right people in place with the right Mm. strategies, whether that's tech strategy, sales. Of course, those are the two most important ones. Uh, marketing, HR, whatever it is, all, all your operations, end-to-end, will put the right people in place who've done it before who can take this global and enable us to, if you're a VC, to exit with multiple
0: um, return on investment. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think the point you uh, you made about the, you know, when they start any business, it's the the end goal is to be a you know, multi-billion global kind of uh, business. I think that's such, that's such a good point because if you kind of you dream that big and you kind of set the stall out from the get go to be that's that's where we want the business to be. Any kind of you know, once you know that, any you can almost extrapolate back to okay, well, where we are today, and you sort of see well, anything we do from this point until we get to that point, okay, well, we're going to fail probably consistently uh, on a regular basis until we get to that point. And I think the um, the point you raised earlier about you know. The lessons that you learn from failing, you know, yeah. that, that's the biggest thing. I think the Americans, from what I understand anyway, from my interaction with them so far, is they, you know, and another great quote I actually really like is, you know, "I, I, I, I never fail. I either succeed or I learn." And that seems to be built in the sort of American psyche of, you know, if 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 you fail, that's almost expected. It's part of the journey en route to where we need to get to. As long as you can mark it down to, you know, being a, a learning curve. And I think now they've got that that learning curve you know so so kind of smoothly and built and like say they've got the 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 strategy and the infrastructure now to actually scale businesses so so rapidly um because of they've not been afraid to make mistakes you know they've not been afraid to just just go big see what happens get back on the horse and it is that real kind of entrepreneurial spirit i think which kind of uh certainly my interaction and even with people that aren't necessarily entrepreneurs just uh it's just it sort of it feels like it's bred throughout a lot of businesses even from employees you know it's not just uh not, you know moguls of of big sort of tech startups, um, but um, but no, I mean, I mean, I guess from you know where we are now in the UK, and like I said, there's still lots of great uh, examples of fantastic businesses that have started in the UK. Uh, I mean, what what do you feel on a practical level, a uh, kind of UK or, or the rest of the world can do differently to 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 potentially start narrowing that gap? Yeah,
1: it's a very difficult question because. To be honest i don't think the gap is going to be narrowed i think all we can really hope to do is keep the gap consistent um just because they've already got their established uh, and they've got those what i call in uh, in, in management terms it's called uh, inimitable competitive advantages that are very difficult to, to break down um in the us especially in 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 tech now if you think about it 25 years ago they already had those advantages you already had amazon uh, you had google coming soon um you had microsoft already bill gates i think was already the richest in the world back then um and it's just got even more so with all these new uh not just uh, cloud companies but Mar- martech and adtech and uh, you just look across any part of the business it's us companies but what can we do I think we've got to put technology at the heart uh, of our a com- a country's strategy um, to, to, to grow. So, unfortunately, this means deprioritizing other areas. So, look at the recent um, news about fishing, right? <laughs> that everyone was talking about, well, the government was talking about how important fishing is. And yes, it's important to those communities, of course it is. Uh, but I, I'd say you need to actually prioritize technology in a country and support it as much as you can um, and have the infrastructure there to make sure that the, the, the companies that can um, do well in that area are supported, to to not, to not just scale in the UK but globally. So the second thing I think we in the UK can do is because we've now exited the European Union, we've got an opportunity actually to uh, develop closer ties to the US so that our tech companies can actually work closer with the likes of Silicon Valley or on the East Coast, New York and uh, Boston, Massachusetts where MIT and Harvard are, um, to to actually learn how to scale better than we have been doing so far. And of course, there's the language uh, uh, advantage that we have in the UK. I know culturally we might not be that similar to the UK. I think there's a huge number of differences. But language-wise, it's a great market that UK companies can exploit. Um, We've also got links into other markets and other countries as well. So we, with Pharma Sentinel and our app Medzi, so Pharma Sentinel is a B2B as well as a B2C business. So our consumer arm is our app. And we're developing software as a service cloud products as well. And our strategy is to, first of all, look to launch our English version of our apps in global locations, such as India, Pakistan, uh, Philippines. All of those countries have larger English speaking populations than the UK, right? So, of course, um, these people will be able to at least read information in, in our app and, and understand it uh, or a certain percentage will so we've got the advantage of our our language other countries um the way israel's done it they've just developed that ecosystem that is dedicated to supporting tech startups linking them with US VC's, especially on the west coast and then taking those um global So they've got strong ties into the likes of Y Combinator, for example, uh, and then all the other um, Andres and Horowitz and other VCs in the Valley. So that's the way they've done it, but they've developed those links. This hasn't happened overnight. That's taken, you know, that is going to take years and years for us to do, but we've got to make a start now. Uh, And the government's got, I think, to prioritise that, but it's a good opportunity. With, with Brexit, you know, over and done with, so to speak, um, we can actually develop those ties with, with the US with the new administration that's coming in. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> <things> cost, yeah. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, time <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And I think that's a great point, actually, about the um, you know the. I think in a lot of it is fed from government initiative as well, and and uh, I mean I think the UK has kind of uh, upped the game over the recent years, you know, you've got the likes of um, Innovate UK, you know, and these kind of initiatives and, and sort of incubator hubs um, that do exist now. But I think, yeah, like I said, they're just not on the same scale as, uh, as as what's out there in the UK. But obviously, you know, they've got a huge amount of uh, momentum behind them and a huge amount of, uh, you know, experience in that, that particular area. But um, but no, when you're talking about prioritising tech, actually, it made me think about, um, I was reading that article recently that you wrote about the uh the future of ai and you know the impact it's going to have on us as a society really interesting read actually um, i'll share the link in uh in, in this uh in the podcast but um but no you made the point about how it's it does sit and i do agree with you totally i think it sits at a much earlier level probably than sort of government initiative um far as business is concerned and actually probably sits earlier than that in in the um, education uh, sorry, oh, in the curriculum yeah. and um i wonder. Uh, i mean i don't know the answer to this whether you've got any uh like to shed on it but whether the the education uh system um is you know that much further advanced from a tech standpoint in the us than it is in the uk because i, I totally agree with you my other is maths teacher um and uh I was actually just she's working from home, obviously, at the moment, doing sort of remote um uh, lessons and stuff. And um just as an example of you know how antiquated our syllabus is, really, I believe, for for this day and age. She yeah. was she was teaching a, a group of kids about you know how to make a um a decimalization out of uh, a fraction. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, she was going through all of the workings of it, and I was like, that sounds really complex. And then I was thinking hang on a minute, when I try and make a decimal out of a fraction, I just divide one by the other. And afterwards, yeah. I sort of had the conversation. was like, when you get you got a calculator, you just divide, you know, if you're trying to work out three, three and ten, you just divide three by ten. And she's like, yeah, but they're not supposed to use calculators. And I'm like, <laughs> <It's> why not? <laughs> it's exactly. like we're living in a world where they've got calculators, which we didn't have, yeah. right, 200 yeah. years ago, but we have now. Yeah. Um, well, so why are we still teaching out of date skills? Yeah. Or okay.
1: even Ask Alexa, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's just like, why are we still? I mean, I get the point you've got to develop certain analytical skills, absolutely. But, you know, coding, in my opinion, can do that. And it's a much more real world transferable skill than actually being able to sit down and prove that you can work out how to decimalize a fraction. And, uh, you know, th- this is the point. I just think the, 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 the digital evolution that is going on in the world now versus, like, say, the education sector and its ability to actually. Respond to that. It, that that's a really worrying gap for me. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When I think about it's, my, my, it's
1: opinion. really interesting you say that. Um, I didn't really notice at the school level, so primary, junior, and high school uh, level in, in the US. Uh, and we'll get on to the university level because that's a different kettle of fish. But um, in the UK, so my mother was actually the first Indian woman headmistress in the UK. And This is sort of a school of over a thousand pupils in London, so a pretty tough neighbourhood in in Brent, Northwest London. And she was previously head of science as well, um, physics, chemistry, biology. So I don't really, and this is in the mid 90s to the to the early 90s. I don't think that teaching those subjects has changed massively in in over the decades. And you're absolutely right; there needs to be more focus on technology teaching computer science, coding, um, but all the, all the different aspects of that. And in terms of careers, there's all these sorts of new careers available. Uh, social media strategists, for example. I mean, that's not new anymore, is it? It's about 10 years old. But do they do they teach that in, in school? I don't think so. You just learn it yourself. But that brings me on to, to another good point. People in the U us especially and i think that's happening more over here and and globally they're taking it on themselves to take advantage of all the free information available online um free training as well as i said i did training on venture capital venture capital and how to to scale your startup they're given by world you know experts for free um and i think people are taking more and more advantage to their, So they're taking it upon themselves to learn what they need to learn, not just relying on the state. And I do believe in the state education, don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's fundamental to any um, civilized society, but I think it's also incumbent upon the individual to learn themselves and to drive themselves forward. Mm. Um, In terms of universities, so I do think, especially in the, the larger, Um, more more successful universities in the US like Stanford, Berkeley, uh, MIT, Harvard, and all all of of the Ivy League ones on on the East Coast especially. Um, They do have that ecosystem infrastructure and support to help entrepreneurs um, much more than they do over here. So yet again, uh, where we don't really have a government. I know you've got Innovate UK. I've applied to Innovate UK with with my colleagues several times and not got anywhere. <laughs> right. really? So we we just decided to stop applying and and uh, ju- just invest the money in growing business and then maybe we'll we'll take another look later. Um, so, but you have to answer all the questions, maybe quite rightly, in a certain manner and you know, dot the I's and cross the t's to to try and. To actually get and innovate UK granters It uh, doesn't necessarily go, in my experience, to the best startups, tech startups. Mm. So, unlike, so in the US, you've got that support from the government, but as you say, from education, especially university level, um, to support startups. And all of the students there, well, not all of them, but a significant proportion of them are thinking. I want to join or work for either a tech company or a startup, and it's pretty compelling. Um, one of my uh, my my cousin's his girlfriend's graduated from Berkeley. I think she got a com- computer science degree. Straight after graduating, recruited by Google, base salary hundred thousand dollars, right, and um, a twenty percent signing on bonus on top of that. Right. So the last time I heard of those levels was back in the dot-com boom. Mm. Um, but now you haven't just got Google. You've got all the tech companies around, um, hovering around um, Silicon Valley that are just hoovering up this talent. Now, the pandemic has actually disrupted that business model because um, all these tech companies have realized we don't need to remain in the Bay Area. These people can can work remotely, so we can hire people all over the US, all over the world to, to work quite effectively for us and in fact, we in Pharma Sentinel, we've got a team of people in Italy, UK um, and India who, who are developing uh, our propositions for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great point actually about the University because I mean I've got relatively limited Knowledge of the um, the U.S. market, as far as natural dealings, I've primarily always been UK-based. But um, yeah, I've been to to California a couple of times just on business. But that's more training than anything else. But uh, yeah, my my kind of viewpoint from the outside would always be that you know those big kind of universities, MIT, Harvard, Stanford, um, it's almost expected for a lot of those uh, people to go on to uh, very entrepreneurial kind of startup type businesses um yeah, in state think we have that culture in in the uk and um, certainly from kind of you know the the universities you wouldn't necessarily say that there's that sort of link there that people would go on to and um, you know more sort of entrepreneurial roles so yeah i think you're right there's definitely that kind of uh, that framework that seems to exist more so in the uk and in the, in the yeah. states mm-hmm. and uh, just in the uk but uh, but no um yeah just to
1: just to develop that point like so I think what's really interesting is that, um, in the UK and other countries, and so not just the UK, except the, except the U S people are still thinking in terms of the old career paths. I'll go into accounting. I'll go into, uh, I'll become a doctor or a pharmacist. Right. Um, they're not really thinking when they go to university, I want to join Google, Right. tech isn't sexy in the UK. It's still the old careers. You know i'll go and work in the city i'll be become a lawyer right um and until tech becomes sexy here and i don't know when that's going to be i I think we're going to struggle getting the you know the best talent into Mm. tech and starting to grow those companies because what the best talent is going to do is move to join the big over there because they just get compensated better, they get options, uh, you know, startup options and they can live there, you know, live a really great lifestyle over there. Um, and so there's a lot that needs to be done across the board to make sure our country can take advantage of the, the tech revolution that has happened and is happening right now.
0: Mm. Yeah I, I massively agree with that Um, you know and it's it's interesting obviously in the world of recruitment one of the things I often get asked it by clients is you know um, we, we really want to build diverse teams you know we want to have a really nice blend of, of of male and female and you know um, different backgrounds etc and you know they're often ask me like what, why is it so difficult to find you know women in, in software engineering data science and um, come and join the team and and I do think you know your point about how stem subjects are seen in in the uk education system um there is an inherent problem there um you know as, as, a, as a dad of two daughters it's something i'm actually you know becoming more and more increasingly aware of um that you know and and wife is a teacher that you know girls whether it's just on an unconscious bias basis but just seem to be directed away from um, stem subjects and um you know it's it's having a huge i think it's getting better i think now in, in kind of i'm seeing the trend over the last sort of two three years where thankfully there do seem to be more uh more more ladies kind of coming into the tech space but you know i do think it is fundamentally at a much more uh you know a deeper level in the education system that we need to readdress our perspectives on you know, equality in STEM subjects, but also how we're viewing STEM subjects and the actual opportunities that exist off the back of it. Because, you know, if if we're teaching people maths and physics and this kind of thing, it's like there's the the career. I mean, I remember the career consultation I had when I I left left school and it was literally, you know, like a 20-question questionnaire of, you know, do you like this? Do you like that? What do you like? And I I came out by saying something like, you know, I was either suited for. a... a role in psychology, which actually I'm genuinely very interested in, um, or or um, yeah. kind of customer service or, or sales, you know, which I guess actually in many ways is kind of what I've ended up falling into. But um, but yeah, they were so kind of you know unsophisticated in terms of the and the, and the options they gave me were just kind of you know. Uh, but who knows? Maybe back then, data scientist wasn't what? a real thing, didn't exist, um, you know. But it's just I think there's a, a much better. Um, mechanism we can provide people at, at sort of education level to make them aware of the, the sort of the possibilities that exist out there if you genuinely well, you know interested it, it,
1: exactly but the thing is guy you know that right you know the possibilities that exist i know the possibilities how many what percentage of the uk population know that very very literally about 10 20 so the people that don't know it, they keep going into the traditional careers and perpetuating mm. that, right? Yeah. Um, so somehow we've got to make sure that people that that people can get your knowledge, that you know all the different career paths that are available because you run a, uh, you, or you've run a, a tech uh, headhunting business, right? Um, or a tech resourcing business. Now somehow we've got to get that knowledge out into the wide stream mainstream population. And so people are actually setting their children up for those career paths. I'm not saying that becoming a doctor and a lawyer in um, an accountant isn't important. It is important, but in a sense, um, the sexy careers are going to be the tech ones mm. in the future. So yeah, it's a, it's a state of mind. That's the way we've got to start thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree. And,
1: and the problem with the career services, they don't know. They don't know what careers are available now mm, yeah. <laughs> in technology, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you don't know, you're not going to tell other people
0: what to do properly. <laughs> yeah, totally true, totally true. Yeah, and one of the things, I guess, I'm, I'm, you know, from a purely selfish perspective, very encouraged about in terms of, you know, when I started in recruitment, I didn't necessarily pursue a career in Tech recruitment. I kind of was given a market. It was, you know, .dot uh, NET development, and and I sort of learnt and and uh, you know as I went. Um, but I'm I'm infinitely grateful now that I was put into technology because I do genuinely see it as the it's the driving force in all industries, yeah absolutely yeah. in every single industry that's out there. Um, you know, and and the need for people that are uh, technically minded but also have the softer skills, you know, that can actually communicate as well. I think, like you said, the, the, the role of a software engineer is still seen as, as somebody potentially, you know, by, right, you know, wrongly in my opinion, but still seen by somebody that sort of sits in a darkened room with headphones in, you know, yeah, doesn't, doesn't yeah, talk speech. to anybody all day. <laughs> and it's like no, nothing could genuinely be further away from the truth of what actually is going on in the world today. It's, it's technologists that have that ability to understand the potential of what technology can do for business, combined with people's skills and soft skills uh, that can communicate that and articulate that to the business. They're the people yeah. that are the game changers. You the know, genuinely driving businesses forward. So when we talk about sexy roles, you know, they, they are genuinely the biggest roles of influence, in, in my opinion.
1: And and pretty much any of the established careers has a role, a huge role to play. In so you talk about behavioural psychology. Well, that's so important in terms of getting people to convert uh, to buy your um, offering online, right? <laughs> Whether it's software as a service. B2B or uh, e-commerce B2C uh, offering that you have. Behavioural psychology is central to to actually getting people down the funnel to to convert. Um, But then you look at, I've been giving advice to to several students um, in the London School of Economics and other pretty good universities recently, and they had actually gone into accounting, and economics and other... Traditional fields of study, and I said, well, what you should be able uh, aiming towards is starting off your career at a tech company. Um, even if you have to start as a lawyer or an accountant, just get to know technology. What there's huge roles for accountants. everyone else to play? in tech companies, right? So I'd say, just get into a tech company, <laughs> whatever yeah. your speciality is. Yeah. And I actually, like you, I fell into technology purely by accident. I, in, in, at Fidelity, I was in the graduate recruitment programme, and then I noticed all the tech uh, people had really nice cars, right, sports cars. <laughs> so when I was asked, where do I want to, to, you know, to start off? Um, I said, tech.
0: <laughs> so wow, <what> know <laughs> well, <yeah>, good answer. <laughs> yeah, it's not 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 uh, not done you badly. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. Perfect. Well, right, look, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Really, really enjoyed the chat and things. Uh, yeah, you know, me share some some great perspective. And uh, I like to always uh, end podcasts with um, a question that I uh, stole from a guy called Rich Reed, who uh, he started the Innocent Smoothie Company. Uh, I don't know if you have seen those smoothies around but he wrote a really oh, good, yeah. book, really good book called if i can tell you one thing and it's basically where it goes around a lot of famous people asking for their one best piece of advice or their one kind of uh favorite tip i guess um so so i'd like to end if i may by asking you uh the same question uh you know is there a particular favored piece of advice that you uh that is your go to that you'd like to share with your uh fellow human
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. So other than going to download our app, you can go to medzi.com, M-E-D-S-I-I. The app actually gives you personalized, trusted medicines and health information, news and alerts. So you can get the latest news on, for example, the vaccine, uh, coronavirus and other health conditions, diabetes, cancer, mental health, all that sort of thing. Um, But other than that, what I would say, what's very important is to be resilient, right? Um, we're going through some pretty tough times right now, uh, uh, not just in the UK, but globally. And I'm sure um, you've already done it as well. I, I had to uh, go through in the US, then I came back to the UK. We had the financial crash and of course, now we've got the, the pandemic. Um, so what what's really i think what's really important is to look after your own health your mental health uh, and be develop that resilience because this unfortunately this is not going to be the last time uh, that we're going to have a testing time as as a species Um, and being resilient means that you can actually pick yourself up Um, you've got the strength of character and mental ability to pick yourself up and to have a go again. And as a founder, as a startup founder, you, you'll know that as well. You you keep getting knocked back all the time. So yes, we were successful fundraising. We've raised a quarter of a million in four months. But I, in before that we started raising, and after even after two months, there was so many to say no, 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 no. It's not interesting. I'm not interested. And you know, uh, and it can be deflating. But you have to keep yourself going, keep being positive, um, and, and keep having positive people around you. People that support what you do. So the worst thing you can do is have it have a drain on your uh, on your energy. Um, you need positive people that support your energy and actually give you energy. And sometimes that means you have to let go of the wrong people right Mm. and i've done that in my life as well so it's a slow process um so be resilient i wouldn't say follow your passion from day one i'd say um i'd say because sometimes it's just not the right time right sometimes it's better to work for a big company um doing whatever you have to do to get money in the bank and then follow your passion but never forget what your passion is Mm because you'll come back one day, and then uh, the resilience with the passion is what pays off uh, and, and gets you to where you wanna be. I'm nowhere near where I wanna be, yet <laughs> I've got big plans ahead. Um, so I am I still you know consider myself very humble and I'm still learning from a lot of people. I'm still learning from you guys, right? So um, thank you very much for your time today.
0: Thank you. It's been fantastic. Really, really great to chat to you. And I think, yeah, that's a perfect bit of advice. And I I would totally echo that. Resilience is one of the qualities I, I, you know, certainly need to demonstrate very much in the the world I I operate in, but I think it's one that everybody, you know, it's, it's such a, a, integral part of people being successful uh you know being able to take knockbacks and keep moving forward um so yeah i echo that absolutely wholeheartedly uh so yeah well look thank you very much again for your uh your time really great to speak to you and uh i think you know pharma sentinel i love the i love the idea i think in this world of of misinformation and a lot of unverified data you know having a a source of truth especially around health you know in times like this uh, absolutely. absolutely you know such a great idea and i can see see you set for for absolutely massive things moving forward so yeah i look forward to follow following your uh your success intently and um yeah we look forward to staying in touch for the future thanks for your kind words guy have a great day there is
1: Take <laughs> bye. Care. cheers Rob. bye for now bye.